If you have a copy of your scriptures, please turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 30. See some newer faces, just so you know, we've been studying the book of Jeremiah now for, I don't know how many sermons, it's been a long time though. Now, Jeremiah wrote another book, probably the book of Lamentations, we think. And if you ever read the book of Lamentations, it's quite an interesting book because you see two chapters of almost chaos. You need to understand the temple they knew, they loved, they worshipped. It's completely destroyed. It's a lament. It's crying. Then chapters 4 and 5, you see more chaos. Upsetting. And in the middle of those two chapters in the book of Lamentations is this praise to the Lord of how good He is. And you kind of see that in the midst of chaos, one of the most chaotic events that's ever taken place in the life of God's covenant people, that, that God is still blessing His people, and He's still with them, and He still loves them. And when you look at the book of Jeremiah, and I know many of you have different views on how it's laid out, you've expressed that you may disagree with me, and that's fine. It's kind of laid out almost in the same way, in the sense that the first 29 chapters, we've been seeing what? Jeremiah railing against his people. You've sinned, you've sinned, you've sinned, and they have. God has given them a bill of divorce. Then we'll see starting in chapter 34 all the way to 52. It's, it's bad again. But in the middle of that, we have this book of comfort where God is comforting his people. We've been seeing hope in a little eyedropper all throughout the book of Jeremiah. And now we get it in a fire hydrant. This hope that he gives his people in chapters 30 through 33. So if you knew here, we, we've been seeing a lot of Jeremiah telling the people, you need to repent, you need to go to Babylon, you're not going to be blessed living in the land anymore, God's blessings are for you, but they're, they're not going to be in the land anymore. And now we're going to see how God comforts his people. And you may be wondering why verses 12 through 24 in the book of comfort. And that's really what we're going to explore this evening. So let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Let's ask God to change our hearts. And let's see the Lord Christ in this passage. Please pray with me. Father, we come before you and we've been waiting a long time to get to chapter 30. We are excited about chapter 31. Father, we, we have to cover chapter 30. Father, may we understand how blessed it is to know that you will punish evil. One, it is our entrance into the kingdom. It's our entrance into glory that our sins were punished on Christ. And it's also comforting knowing that all wrongs one day will be made right. So, Father, we pray as we read Jeremiah 30 that we would be encouraged. If someone doesn't know you, please change their hearts. For those that need to be comforted, please comfort them, O God. Please do your work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jeremiah 30, verse 12. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. 
for I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe. Because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable. Because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, and all of your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, and all who prey on you I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion for whom no one cares. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will make them honored, and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old. And their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. And thus says the reading, the very word of God. I had a brother named John, and John, around 11 years old, we had gotten in a lot of trouble. My younger brother, me, and John were in trouble. We were told that when my mother gets home, she was going to give us a spanking with a belt, which is a big deal. We didn't get spanked with belts much. We should have got spanked a lot more. Some of the millennials are going, oh, a belt? Yeah, it was back in the day we did that. I was going to spank with a belt. My brother, who was a year older than me, he had this great idea. If he could find every single belt in the house and hide them, then my mother would not be able to spank us. So he went about in his 11-year-old mind finding every belt he could find, from the thick belt that a lady may wear with a dress to a, to a belt that may be old, to even the little elastic belts that were, had Knight Rider and G.I. Joe on them. Any belt he could find, he was going to hide. He finished hiding them. He thought to himself, I have gotten away with it. You ever thought that before? That you have gotten away with something? You know, it's interesting. Scripture is filled with men, women, and nations that thought they've gotten away with something. When you read this passage of Scripture, people make up terms when they're reading the Bible. I call it Nahumatic. There's a group of people called the Assyrians who thought they had gotten away with destroying the northern tribes of Israel, those that we spoke about last week. They thought they got away with it. They're like, we destroyed them. See, to help you understand 
the way superpowers work in Scripture. You had Israel under King David. He was the superpower, right? The, the United Kingdom. And then you had the Assyrians were the superpowers. And then you had the Babylonians. They were the superpowers. And then the Medo-Persians. They were the superpowers. Then the, the Greeks were the superpowers. And then the Romans. That gets you all through the Scripture to the New Testament. You know your history after that. The Assyrians had destroyed the northern ten tribes, and they were wicked. They, they just didn't want to overthrow people. They wanted to eradicate them. They wanted to merge them, kill, kill men, and then what they would do with the women is they would produce offspring, and then the offsprings would be Assyrian then. They wanted to eradicate them. And they came, and they took away the northern tribes of Israel, and they thought, we got away with it. Yeah, they'd lost in 701 to Judah, but, you know, Judah's a small little nation. That was just a blip on the radar. They still continue to try, though they were not as empowered as they once were. But then this prophet named Nahum came. And Nahum told them, you didn't get away with it. You thought you got away with it, but you did not get away with it. As a matter of fact, he told the Ninevites, that he was going to destroy them. God is going to come and completely destroy you for what you have done to God's covenantal people. The reality is, is Judah is going to hear the same news that Nahum was telling the people of God. As he's telling Nineveh, and he's prophesying to Nineveh, he's saying that God's going to destroy you how is that good news? Well, it's good news when you're the one being oppressed, isn't it? It's great news when you're the one that has an enemy barreling down upon you. It's good news if you want to get to heaven that God is going to punish and judge sin. This passage is pretty interesting that it's in the book of comfort that God is not going to allow sin just to escape his presence. Nahum would say, as he quotes Exodus, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. God will not leave the guilty unpunished. The same thing we see throughout this passage. And it's comforting. Very comforting when the Babylonians are coming, knocking on your door, taking everything you own, taking you back to Babylon, and destroying everything you have. It's pretty comforting knowing that God is going to take care of your enemies. And if you're taking notes, we're going to see five things. First thing we're going to see is this incurable wound. They had this wound that was incurable. They also had bad friends. We're also going to see the fairness of God. Four, we're going to see restoration. And five, we're going to see reminding. Incurable wounds, bad friends, fairness, restoration, and reminding. And as we look at these incurable wounds, some of you heard the story about James Montgomery Boyce in 2000. May 7th, he goes to his congregation in the year 2000. He told the congregation that he has an incurable liver cancer. He says, God is sovereign. Pray that I could suffer well. The Lord called him home approximately one month and seven days later. He was a Goliath of a man. But he had a disease that was incurable. 
You know, oftentimes we think, well, well, how did he die again, Travis? That's not the right question to ask. The question to ask is not how did he die, but, but why did he die? He died because he had an incurable disease, but he ultimately died because of all of our disease. So when we look at this passage and we look past the passage, we all know that we will face death one day. And whether it comes to you sooner than later, or whether it comes to you long down the road, we have this incurable wound that is grievous to God. We'll all stand before Him. As He told Adam, in dying you will die. And look at verse 12. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable, and your wound is grievous. Judah was past the point of no return. Remember when, when Jonah preached that sermon in 40 days, God will destroy you, and they repented. Thank they repented, I believe they did. Judah was past the point of no return. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah said three times, don't pray for them. God says, don't pray for them, Jeremiah. It's over. They're going to be destroyed. This is part of our major problem. We're going to die one day. That's an issue for us. Look at verse 13. Even more than this incurable wound, there is none to uphold your cause. No medicine for your wound. No healing for you. There was no one to mediate on their behalf. There was no doctor there was no one there to help them at all. Do you understand that you have always needed a mediator to go before the holy and righteous God? Remember the story of Exodus 20 where the thunder and the lightning was there? What did the children of Israel say? They stayed at a distance. That's what you and I would have done. They said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. Don't let God speak to us because we'll die. Man has always needed a mediator. Ultimately, this is what this passage is speaking of. How are you going to stand before a holy and righteous God? When Judah read this in Babylon, they were to think that. Well, how can I stand before a holy and righteous God? What are we to do? There's no temple. We don't even live in the city anymore. But yet they still needed a mediator. They needed someone to stand on their behalf. They also had bad friends. Now teenagers, listen to me. Your parents will tell you this. You know, you want, you want to see your future? Who are you hanging out with now? I remember my parents used to tell me that. Right? You want to see your future? Who are you hanging out with now? It's, it will be indicative of who, what your future is like. And oftentimes, we choose friends based upon how we look. Adults have the same problem. I'm not picking on teenagers, right? We want to, the, the world to look at us in a certain way. We heard that this morning, right? Looking for love in all the wrong places as we're going through the, the prophets and the covenants through, through Paul Palmer Robertson. 
Judah, they were looking for friendship with Egypt and Assyria. Anybody that would help them out. Well, I mean, Yahweh can't help us, can he? Look at verse 14. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. They're longing for security. They're longing, right? They'd be helped. But they just rejected the one that could help them. Verse 14, God says, For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Once again, God's going to punish sin. No one's going to get away with anything. Verse 15, Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done this to you. This is something that's been coming up throughout Jeremiah over and over and over again. God wants to be clear with Judah. He wants them to understand I'm doing this because of your sin. You almost get the sense that they don't understand it. Like they think that maybe they're being judged for someone else's sin or they don't deserve it. Oftentimes we see this in culture. We, we push things away. Well, it's not my fault. Didn't Adam do that? You gave me the woman, right? Serpent's fault. Everyone's fault but my own. When God is saying, no, it's your own fault. You'll stand before the Lord and you will give an account for what you do. It won't be your friend's fault or your parent's fault. We need a mediator. And this is screaming Christ. If you can't see it, if you want me to make the Spurgeon jump, is there for you in your own mind. You need help. And the help will come from Christ. Which brings us to the third part of this sermon as we look at this, the fairness of God. If God's going to punish sin, does He pick and choose who He punishes? Wouldn't that be a good question? You've heard that asked. Well, I mean, I mean does He punish everyone? Is He going to punish teenagers, right? Teenagers? Will He punish teenagers? I believe He will. He will. He's fair. Not always what we want, but he's fair. Culture all around us will tell us, well, I mean, is God really going to judge them? And the reality is, he will. You need to understand as we read verse 16, therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured. All your foes, every one of them shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, and all who prey on you, I will make a prey. Doesn't matter who you are, you're not getting away with anything. God sees all. Even Babylon, as great as they were, they're not getting away with anything. Assyria sure didn't get away with it. We read Nahum. We know what took place in 625 when Jeremiah was a, was a young man. They were completely destroyed and annihilated. God's not going to let it go. And He's definitely not going to let it go when people have messed with His covenant people. Something we see is a theme throughout all of Jeremiah. God is saying, they're my people and you don't mess with my people. 
God may raise up someone like Nebuchadnezzar to destroy them, but yet they're still God's people. God doesn't take kindly to those who mess with His people. Look at verse 17. I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion from whom no one cares. But wait a minute, Travis. Your first point was there was an incurable disease. Now it sounds like you're contradicting yourself. No. Read it right here. God says, I will restore you to health. Just as much as God is a fair God, He loves to save. And in verse 12, though your hurt is incurable, He says, I will give you a cure. See, what really takes place is the God of the universe, the second person of the Godhead, added himself a body. What was the failure of the covenant? Especially the Mosaic covenant. You know what the failure was? Your heart and you. It was never God. God has loved us with an eternal love. God loved us. Remember, he, he saved his people out of Egypt. He loved them. Remember, you loved your wife before you married her. He loved his people. And then he entered into covenant with them. He loved them so much. But what was the failure? The failure was clearly on the part of the people. Their inability. Once again, God says, you have an incurable disease Looks like I'm going to have to fix it. I'm going to have to add myself. The second person the Godhead will have to add to himself a body. Come to earth and do what you cannot do, which is keep that law perfectly. He's going to have to be punished for your sin. All those things are true in this passage. And they're all screaming. Yes, you have an incurable disease. You have a wound that is incurable. God says, I'm going to have to do something about it. Why? Because of point four, God loves to restore. Just as much as it's in his character to destroy and judge sin, God loves to restore. When you read the book of Nahum, and God is pouring out his vengeance on those who thought that they were going to get away with it. Nahum clearly says, but those who trust in the Lord, he's going to keep them safe. Exodus 34 is clear. This is what Nahum is quoting. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And yes, he does not leave the guilty unpunished but he loves to forgive. That's the God we serve. A God that has been firm, has been honest and true to his covenant. A God who is holy, 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 who judges Judah, who gives them a bill of divorcement, yet at the same time, he loves to restore. Verse 18, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob, and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. 
Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them, and they shall not be a few. I will make them honored, and they shall not be small. When you're understanding this book of comfort, the people of Judah knew the Abrahamic covenant. You think you know the covenants well because you read a book, John T. Rhodes, or you've been reading Christ of the Covenants, or, or O. Palmer Robertson book that we're going through. They knew it better than we did. <laughs> they lived it. They knew that God had made promises to them to bless them, to make them a great nation. They understood that someone from the tribe of Judah is going to come. They were looking for that great king. And God says, I'm going to bless you. In the immediate context, of course, is what we know that Christ is going to come. The very Christ, the Son of the living God, is going to walk through that temple that they will rebuild when they get back into Jerusalem. Though it looks like a trailer park compared to the first, it will be Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who walks there. He's going to restore their fortunes. He's going to keep the promises to them. For God loves to restore. It made me think of our salvation. See, God not only saves us, but He restores us in the sense of He now, now the Holy Spirit's inside of us, we now have the ability to choose right from wrong. You know, before you're a Christian, you, have, you don't have that ability. You just sin, sin, sin. But when you become a Christian, and you have a new heart, you have that ability to choose right from wrong. And the Holy Spirit comes and enables you no longer to see the tablet written on stones. Now it's written in your heart and you're, you're enabled to keep that which the Lord commands through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a man named Johnny Gibson from Northern Ireland. Might I say right north of Belfast. He's preaching a sermon and I'll never forget this, what he says. He says, not only did God save the thief on the cross, he also washed his mouth out. Do you, you understand that this, this thief on the cross is cursing at Jesus? Not only did God save him and say, to David you'll be with me in paradise, he also washed his mouth out and enabled him to do that which he could not do prior. There's an immediate context here in Jeremiah 30. And the immediate context is, God's going to send the people back into the land. They're going to rebuild the city. They're going to build the walls because Jesus Christ is going to walk through them. But if you look past this, which we should be doing in the book of comfort, looking past and see what God is doing, He's restoring. He restores us. He changes us. He gives us the ability to do that which we cannot do. Look at verse 20. Their children shall be as they were old. Their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all who oppose them. Isn't it interesting when we're ever reading through Jeremiah and we, we see this, is like God is always loving the children. He just loves children. Our faith, is, is it not like a child? Is it not? Praise the Lord for this. And, and this is what's interesting in verse 21. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make them draw near. I'll make him draw near. And he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself approach me 
declares the Lord. Not only am I going to restore you, not only am I going to give you your city back and let you build the temple and build the walls, not only will you grow in mass number and your children will sing songs of the great Redeemer, I will bring a prince out from among yourselves. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to mediate. He's going to be the one that mediates between you and a holy and righteous God. I hope you know this is just as much a Christmas hymn as anything else is. A prince shall come from among your own people and he will enable you to approach God boldly. There's one mediator between God and man and we know that man is Jesus Christ. He restores, and not only does he restore, he mediates for us. This is why we can come boldly. This is the reason we can sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. We can worship the Lord because of Jesus Christ. Christ. You do understand, whenever this last week, but there was never another Davidic king after Zedekiah. We don't see another king until Jesus Christ comes. They've been looking for a king. They're looking for a king. When is the king going to come? Well, the prince is going to come through Jesus Christ. And how does he mediate? Well, he takes the punishment that you and I deserve. The wrath that you and I deserve was poured out upon Christ and He represents you. And we see this in verse 22. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. As Josh spoke of, this is the Emmanuel principle that runs through all of God's covenants, through all the prophets. I will be your God and you shall be my people. God loves to call himself a people. God loves to call himself and gather himself a people. And he will do that. He's good at that. We've seen the incurable wounds. We've seen bad friends, fairness, restoration. And now let's look at this reminder. And you may say, it seems as if God is repeating himself over and over again through the prophet Jeremiah. Yes. It has been very challenging coming up here and not preaching the same sermon over and over and over and over again. Almost as if the session says, I'm glad he's preaching and not me. <laughs> but you know the Martin Luther quote. I don't know if it's true or not. People get either quote Luther, say Luther says it or... Spurgeon says it, but anyway, we'll say it anyway. A church member asked Martin Luther, why do you preach the gospel to us week after week? And Luther replied, because week after week you forget it. Something that Peter speaks about, reminding people constantly of the gospel. Pastor David speaks to the young seminarians who want to preach. He says, one of the things that you can do is what? To remind. And here we see this great reminder of God. Yes, I'm going to rescue you. Sin will not go unpunished. Sin will be punished. God is going to destroy Babylon. Don't worry about Babylon. Basically, worry about yourselves in this sense. But here's the reminder. God is still serious about sin. And if you've read Nahum, it's just really interesting. 
that he says his way is in the whirlwind of the storm, his clouds are the dust of his feet. And here we see the storm again for people who thought that, oh no, is Babylon going to get away with this? No, they're not. Trust me. They're not going to get away with sin. Verse 23, Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. This is apocalyptic language. You can read this. It's not something you want to be a part of. You really want this whirling tempest, this wrath to be burst upon Christ and not you. That's just the real simple way of saying it. You want this to be upon Christ. And if you are going through issues or some type of abuse which people in our congregation have, you need to understand there's going to come a time where the enemies will be judged. You might not see it in this lifetime. You may. More than likely you won't. But trust me, all wrongs will be made right. God will burst upon the head of the wicked. Verse 24, the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he's executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. Maybe in the NIV, in the coming days, in the days of head. You're going to understand this. The Lord will not let sin go unpunished. That should be comforting to you. If people have abused you, or you look out into the landscape and you see politicians that are wicked, it almost gives you the freedom to look at your own sin and go, I, I've got enough to deal with in my own heart. I'm thankful I have a mediator. And when you think about this verse, he says, you're not going to understand this until the coming days, until later. Isn't that like most of the Christian life? You're not going to understand it now, but you probably will later. He wants them to have eyes of faith. He wants their hearts to be changed. You see this all throughout the Psalms. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? You're waiting. It seems like most of the Christian life is, I'm waiting and I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust one day I'm going to understand it. And the reality is one day you will. When you stand before the Lord, first and foremost as a family member, not as a judge, you stand before Him as a family member if you're in Christ, you're going to understand a lot more than you know now. You'll be like, oh, okay, I understand. And that will be a blessed day for many of us. As we close, if you remember my brother who, who hit all the belts, because my brothers, all three of us, were going to get a spanking when mom got home. Just so you know, I didn't get a spanking that day. My brother didn't get a spanking that day. But oh, it was bad for my brother who hit the belts. That, those belts were eventually found. And I'll leave it at that. God does not let sin go unpunished. A lot like King David. Do you remember King David's sin and he thought he had gotten away with it? For nine months, nine months, Bathsheba's pregnant. He got her pregnant. 
You remember the story? He wanted to hide that and cover that sin, so what did he do? He sent Uriah to the front of the line, and they were like, well, this doesn't make sense, this battle plan. Remember, David said it. You sent him to the front of the line. So he does, and they kill Uriah. He thought he got away with it. He didn't. He was punished. Lost his son. And you have to think in your mind, would God actually punish his anointed because of sin? That's the reason God ordained and allowed King David to do everything he did. Would God punish his anointed because of sin? You should know right now because you've read the Old Testament, but you also know the New Testament well, don't you? He punished his own son because of sin. He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all. We know that he will because he did it in Christ. And this whole passage is comforting to us because it ultimately tells us that our sins were placed on Christ. We do have a mediator. And now we can go boldly before the throne knowing that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word.